Before we dive into the episode with Doug, I just want to thank the people who make this show possible, our fantastic patrons. You all motivate me to keep producing the best show I can. I'm continuously blown away by your generosity in supporting this podcast. Thank you so much. And of course, I have to give a shout out to our producer-level patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. If anyone wants to join our patron family for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash outerrimreads, you can get access to 236 patron-exclusive posts and counting of bloopers, bonus audio, a bonus monthly show, and more, and you get an entry into our bi-monthly merch giveaway. Speaking of, this month's winner is Heather. I'll be in touch soon to get you that merch of your choice. Now let's get into chapters 30 through 32 of Light of the Jedi. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 52 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Gahan, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we will discuss chapters 30 through 32 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by my friend and a familiar face to the show, Douglas Dubois. Doug, how are you doing today, man? Welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. I'm super excited about this one because I have thoroughly enjoyed this uh, this book in particular and and ongoing iterations in the uh, in the High Republic. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I remember that just in all of the you know, I guess me looking through the window of people chatting about the book. You were one of the uh, people that I saw who was you know really raving about this book uh, you know uh, it seems that you've thoroughly enjoyed it so i'm glad that uh, that i get to now hear your thoughts on these chapters especially with your boy porter engel i do have to say that when i was given the intro i was kind of transported back you know to the the very first time that we had recorded cuz you were in the first two episodes episode 1 and 2 of this entire podcast and now 50 episodes later to episode, actually, yeah, no, 50, 50, 51 episodes later to episode 52, it's it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I've been thoroughly enjoying uh, being along for the ride as a listener. It, it's fantastic that, you know, you've made it this far. You, you're obviously going through an exhaustive process looking at these books, looking deeper into into what's there. And, and I think it's such a, a unique and, and cool thing that, um, you know, that you do and there's not a lot of podcasts uh, around Star Wars literature like it, so yeah, it's it's been great. It could make the argument that the show would not exist without your help. So I will I will say that and speak. It I'll, to the I'll make that argument. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if we're doing another debate episode, um, I wouldn't want to be arguing against it. Yeah, <laughs> you you have found your side and you'll stay with it. <laughs> That's right. I planted uh, my flag. Yeah. You've been on for multiple episodes, you know, whether that's the the tournament back in episode, I think, 20 or so, and then I think four, three or four episodes in season one. So we have all heard your Star Wars story uh, exhaustively through all those episodes. So I won't put you through that again today. But for the listeners, uh, could you talk a little bit about how you came across this book, Light of the Jedi, and what that journey looked like for you into the High Republic? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you sort of mentioned 
some of the chat that uh, that we sort of have through uh, through Discord, our uh, our book discussions. And I remember around the time that the announcement came out for this, you know, this initiative, talking about it a lot with with people in there, and I was excited to have something that was seemed like a little bit more of a long sort of term, uh, a number of issue type um, sort of I guess literary initiatives uh, because. I guess some of the Star Wars books that I really enjoyed uh, in the past tended to have, you know, seven or eight volumes to a particular part of the story, and it just allows so much more time to to really get into the characters, really get into the story, to twist it and turn it, and be you know really engaging. Single or sort of one-off novels, or even sort of trilogies like they have with the Padme books, are, are great, but uh, I just like that that sort of slightly longer form. So I was super excited from right from hearing about it really and then of course as as we got more and more details and the images came out and they looked a bit different to perhaps what I'd kind of pictured in my mind I was like okay interesting interesting but as soon as I got my hands on Light of the Jedi I was absolutely roped in and in fact I read it back to back uh it didn't even stop for a breath I was just like I've got to read that again so yeah, it's fair to say I've really enjoyed the the writing style of a number of the authors, and the story's taken me along for the ride. Yeah, I mean it's a thrilling ride to have been oh. on so far, at least, and, and oh, yeah. from what I hear with the other books as well, uh, that will continue. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean without a doubt, they don't exactly let you just chill on uh, on what's going on for for long in these books. If you get a down moment where okay, they're taking stock and everything seems okay. You're scared to flip that next page because you have no idea what horror awaits them uh, on the next chapter. You know, you're really not uh, exaggerating there at all because it's literally a single page or even half a page or a quarter. Like even even a sentence has been the difference between a moment where you think everything is all right. And then everything goes horribly wrong. If that's, you know, a billion people dying uh, at the hands of Kasav in, in, a, in a blink of an eye or a moment that will be in one of these chapters as well, uh, there's never really a moment to relax or to chill. Uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, when uh, Avar and Elzar were having their drink at the Naboo Lake country. That was yeah. probably the closest that we've gotten. <laughs> I felt chill reading about that. Uh, but you just, you fear the dot, dot, dot. As soon as you see that, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what's we've coming next? conditioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what's coming next? I will say that these uh, these chapters, I guess particularly 30 and 31, are, are quite riveting. You know, 32 was... Both, I guess 30 and 31 were much longer, and there's a lot going on in them. 32 was, you know, a little bit shorter, setting up what's happening uh, next. But, mm. you know, I know that uh, you love Porter Engel, and he's quite involved in at least the first part of Chapter 30. So, Well, I- indeed, could... the, the very first two words are Porter Engel. And uh, immediately <laughs> I was like, well, you had me at Porter Engel. Right. I'm going to see if I can, uh, I'm going to find the message that you, yeah, no, you said you, because you had wrote to me when you're preparing for the chapters, I just set up my Kindle app for chapter 30 and the first words were Porter Angle, this is my jam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't changed my mind on that. <laughs> yep. And I, my respect and awe for the guy has only increased with chapter 30. So I will give my summary for, for 30 and then we can dive in and talk about Porter and all of the, the wild events of chapter 30. 
In pursuit of the Nihil and the Blythe family, Porter Engel gives his mount words of encouragement. The legendary Jedi is certain that they will stop the Nihil in their tracks. As the Jedi continue their chase, Porter's mount is suddenly shot out from underneath him. After telling Bell and Loden to continue their pursuit, Porter quickly locates and deals with the Nihil snipers in the surrounding hillside. Meanwhile, Bell and Loden realize they have no chance of catching up to the remaining Nihil before they reach their ship. Although Loden is able to creatively destroy one, the Nihil leave an injured Erika Blythe behind to distract the Jedi and make it to their remaining ship. Loden heroically defends Bell and Erika from the ship's blaster fire, and Indira makes a timely arrival, forcing the Nihil into a retreat. Loden, Bell, and Indira then begin to chase the Nihil into space. There was a lot going on in this chapter. The, the chase that had been set up comes to fruition. It, it pays off here. We get to see Porter in more action than just dealing with some mole mines in, in spectacular form. What were your thoughts reading 30, getting to see this legendary Jedi just in action, but then also seeing, and, and when I had time to reflect on it, really brilliant moments from each of these Jedi involved, from Porter to Loden to Bell to Indira at the end. What did you think? Well, I mean, the themes are, are there in this chapter, as they always are in Star Wars, you know, it, it's what it's all about. But we can probably delve into those a little more in the later chapters. This one is just packed with fantastic action. So many things that I would just love to see realized on screen, you know. And also, I've really been quite attached to the whole group there. So, you know, Porter, Indira, Bell, obviously, and Loden. And can we uh, can we give a moment? <laughs> can we give a little moment to Ember? Um, you have to. <laughs> yeah. Ember's, Ember's an absolute star and, and, and obviously shows out in this chapter. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, you can you can dig into some of the themes there, but really this, this one's just all action. This is that one act of a story that just blows you away before things sort of wind in a slightly different direction in the next chapter. Yeah, loved it. Loved it. Yeah, it was fast-paced. It was, you know, like I said, we got really great moments from each of these kind of central good guys uh, involved. It was just nonstop, but in a way that was not, I don't know about, I wasn't feeling as stressful as uh, as when the great disaster was happening, but, you know, there was still an element of tension and stress, but it was also just in awe at these Jedi kind of in their elements, you know, kind of jumping outside of the box and utilizing kind of all of these options necessary and available to save this family. But we are back on, you know, back on Ophrona, uh, with uh, Porter kind of speaking to his mount, to the Steely, and mm. he calls it uh, a luminous being. So we know where Yoda got that quote from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to piece it together because he's... We know he's been a Jedi for centuries. Obviously, Yoda has been too. Would he still have been someone trained by Yoda at some point? Like, is he still a young in, in Yoda's eyes? I don't know. It's probably quite I close. I want to find out who taught Yoda. The not, like, if, if everyone has been taught by Yoda, I swear to God. <laughs> well, who's, who's claiming this line, the luminous beings? But, no, I really love how that sort of started. And it's so funny how it goes from, you know, how he's connecting with the Steely and he's trying to sort of impart this, this purpose uh, on the creature and uh, as part of bonding with it. And then obviously this horrific thing sort of happens and 
and then you see him you see him snap <laughs> uh, oh yeah <laughs> you can tell how much it how much it really um uh, disgusts him, and you see a number of things in this chapter, this despicable act that the Nile are, are willing to perpetrate, uh, and I just love how Porter reacts to those. It was fantastic how he's seen a lot of destruction and, you know, kind of just this ravaged homestead, a family has been captured, who knows what's happened to them while they're in the Nihil's hands, but like you said, what kind of sets him off is when the sniper shoots the steely out from underneath him. Because I guess before then, he had kind of thought to himself that he wasn't angry. Yeah. He's certain. He did certain describe that... them as bastards who kidnapped four yes. people <laughs> from their very home. <laughs> this is However, true. then he went on to, to qualify that as, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm yeah, not angry. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, I'm certain. Which certain. I, think I love that. That's like so badass. Just, <laughs> yeah. just... He's just very sure that he's going to set things straight. He can bring it in warm or he can bring him in cold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but either way, he's bringing him in. Yeah, definitely. He, I think he had been considering the possibility of bringing them in warm, but then they killed his his animal, his steely. And that's what kind of made the decision for him. But I guess... Before that, I've got a question for you, because he's riding the Steely, they're still in kind of hot pursuit, and he's thinking about the Nihil, he's thinking about Loden and Bell with him, and he thinks about Loden, quote, He had a sense of humor about things that was very welcome among the Jedi. Porter had met many in the Order who took things far too seriously. And I gotta ask, if you had to pick... Which prequel Jedi would Porter get along with best? I thought initially to rail Avaros from Master and Apprentice, kind mm-hmm. of just, you know, mm-hmm. out there to just joke around, kind of uh, easygoing, maybe a little bit too easygoing. I don't know. But who would, if you had to pick, who would the prequel Jedi be that Porter would get along with best? Hearing what he thinks of Loden here. M- maybe a Quinlan Voss. Uh, I could see uh, him getting along well with Quinlan Voss. Someone who most mm. definitely does not take things too seriously. Even for Obi-Wan, who's, you know, not shy of a quip. Yeah, I, I, I could see those two getting along well. Mm, I hadn't thought of Quinlan Voss, which that's a travesty, actually, because, you know, having read Dark Disciple and all that, it's uh, he's a fascinating character. Uh, but I, I I could support that. He and Quinlan Voss might get along there. I also really like the way he um, he talks about the others. You sort of mentioned, you know, what, what he said there about, um, about Loden. But I feel like him being an older Jedi... Uh, someone who's been around for centuries and you kind of you feel the benefit of that wisdom and because all of these characters are new to us you know we're we're part way through one book into this uh into this whole initiative so making him an older jedi and and giving you that sense of i guess wisdom and time around so many others it lends some credence to it and perhaps you can attach just a little bit more trust in in what he has to say or his view over um over some characters perhaps you might have known for another chapter or more. In a way, I guess he's kind of like a a Yoda figure of this current era where, you know, he's been around long enough to see generations of Jedi and he knows kind of the the consistencies of the order and, you know, where where they might be a little bit too stiff and then recognizing kind of the value in certain characteristics and personalities of those that he works with. You know, he's he's been around and uh, yeah, like you like you say in, in him thinking about the other two here, we get to kind of see uh, to yes, experience that through his own thoughts, his own mind, and uh, and what what these uh, kind of what his colleagues mean to him in in their own unique ways, and 
you know, how he respects kind of the the young, promising nature of Bell, and then also realizes how important Loden's personality is to the Order, that the Order kind of needs someone like that. But then he also knows how to get to business. Um. <laughs> and he also knows how to get a lot of flavor out of eggs. And he <laughs> that nine so? eggs do, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is a moment uh, a, a bit later when we get to it that I thought was particularly funny. Uh, but uh, I guess before we kind of get to that moment, after he had told Bell and Loden to go on without him to kind of continue the chase, he is calling up to the Nihil shooters in the hillside. You know, he is pissed off. He is kind of snapped, but in a controlled way. He's not, you know, uh, he's not out of control here. And I'm just going to read But this he switches modes. Very quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's like on a like a light switch. It's just, you know, one moment he is kind of, I don't I mean, he's composed through it all, but you can tell just by his demeanor and the way that he is then thinking and speak and kind of calling out to the Nihil that he he's done with them. Oh, it's <laughs> cowards he spat, it says. <laughs> he spat, yes. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that says it too. But when he's calling out to them, I'm just going to just going to read this quote here. Before you killed my steely, I will admit I had not decided how to deal with you. All possibilities were on the table. But that creature lived in the light and you stole it away. You had no right. Thank you for showing me exactly what you are. Makes things much simpler for me. Which is just, <laughs> I just love that. absolutely great. <laughs> he means business. You know, as a reader, we're already thinking the Nile are, are awful, you know. Uh, they do these despicable things. Every time we, we catch up with them, just about. And he's kind of wrestling with it, and he's ready to take action. You know, something we see as a bit of a sticking point amongst the Jedi, particularly in the prequel era. You know, the moment to, to take action is something they debate and and whatnot. But um, he no, he's ready. He's ready. Yeah. He does what he has to do. And, he does. Uh, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't think twice about it here, you know, because I guess it's consistent with his thoughts the, at the very start of the chapter that he's he's certain whether you know yeah. certain that all possibilities are on the table or whether he's certain that they will not make it out alive after what they've done only there's only one outcome here and this is where all that cinematic action is about to come into play absolutely <laughs> the moves that he pulls are, are fantastic because uh, uh you know i guess right before he does take this action he is kind of thinking about how cowardly they are and kind of right in the middle of that that thought of how they are cowards and despicable, he senses three sniper shots right at his back, which he thinks, of course, which also just sums up the Nihil pretty much. One-on-one, face-to-face, they're, they're not in a fair fight, are they? They're not coming away from that. And, unless, of course, they took that choice and, you know, he's not angry with them. They're coming in one way or another. So I, I'm sure if, you know... If they were honorable enough to to give up without a fight, then you know they'd they'd face punishment, but not the punishment that they ultimately get, because oh, that's no. not the option they take. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no! Yeah, with every cowardly decision they take, they seal their fate even more uh, in stone. When he does kind of deflect these shots that come at his back, he jumps straight up, sees where the shots had come from, and he throws his saber. The Nihil uh, sniper takes cover, but uh, the lightsaber just goes straight through the rock (laughs) and straight through the Nihil, dude. (laughs) I love that. I love that. It just reminds you of uh, Brattlefront 2, jumping up and doing the Vader saber throw. 
to to yeah. get to someone. <laughs> it always worked, and it it worked here. So <laughs> very effective. It's consistent. It's a timeless move, as we've seen now. Yeah. I do think that the culmination of this move is the most impressive to me, where the other Nihil member shoots at him before he lands and before he gets his saber back to his hand. Quote, he was in midair without his primary form of protection, making the situation a bit complex to handle, but Jedi lost their weapons from time to time, and any Jedi Knight worth the title put in the hours developing strategies for unarmed defense. I do have a question and a thought about that, but I guess I should finish what exactly he does is that he deflects the bolt back with the force in his hand, kind of just sends it straight back where he came from, but he admits that he could have pushed it away or he could have frozen it in the air with his mind. It's like, this dude is so legit. <laughs> I had a number of trump cards I could have played in my in my hand, but I just went for this one. And I feel like, uh, was it during Master and Apprentice? I think you, one of your search your readings questions might have been in relation to being able to defend yourself without your lightsaber. Yep. And I remember at the time saying, look, I'm thinking that they train that sort of thing all the time because you don't want to be absolutely brilliant so long as you've got the stick in your hand. But if you haven't got it, you're, you know, you're a sitting duck. So, yeah, no, yeah. I, I like that. That was going to be my question to you because, you know, it kind of does harken back to that moment where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, their lightsabers were ineffective against the, the black guards. That's right. And That's that, right. That was the discussion question. Like, are they too reliant on their sabers? And here we get a fantastic, not only an answer, but a display as well of what that looks like, which yeah. was An emphatic amazing. answer. I have many strings to my bow. I've got numerous trump cards I can play. And... I'm going to do this and do it effectively. And I think also it must not be a very easy maneuver to pull. We've only seen this, I think, a few times with Porter here, with, I think, Vader in Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. with Kylo freezing the bolt in Force Awakens. But we really don't see it often, even from the likes of... Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, you know, we've seen Yoda kind of absorb energy. You know, Yoda yeah. kind of does his own thing, but... I wonder, is it because kind of, of the, the concentration, the difficulty of what this must take? Or, I don't know, is there like another reason that we haven't seen this practice in use much? I don't know if it's what the what the deal is there. Maybe I think I would settle on it being a very difficult thing to pull off consistently as well. I think in universe, on a practical level, it's probably something that does require a lot of training. It's not something that you're going to see... Padawan's doing with ease and consistently, like you say. But I think the meta answer is just, it's something they've they've riffed on a bit more and more uh, after, you know, after after doing it once. I suppose we're going all the way back to, what, 1980, where we see Vader doing it. So they've had plenty of opportunities in the films to, to do it more so than they have. So I think the in-the-universe answer is, yeah, it's not easy. But when you're as much of a badass as Porter Engel... Uh, yeah. You could do it one of three ways. A big part of me being a uh, a huge fan of Porter so far has is, is come from this chapter more than anything. Yeah, he really does shine, shine through. And there is a, a great moment here where he starts sprinting for the hill where the other shots came from. And he finds out that the other Nihils, you know, had jumped back on their steely and were trying to escape. And uh, I'm just going to read uh, just another quote here. There's so many quotable moments in this chapter. Quote, 
Denihil whipped around, his blaster firing, and the conflict ended the only way it could. Porter was utterly certain. Denihil toppled off the steely, a smoking hole through his mask. Which I just... I, I, just, I, I, I highlighted that text, too, and all I write was, so certain. <laughs> so certain it just like that that is kind of a refrain that goes on through this chapter with him is that the certainty persists no matter what they pull at him and just the how he was just so sure yeah this was only going to end one way and yeah. he made sure of it or did he because because we get but. this wild moment <laughs> but wait there's more where the Nihil member sits back up as Porter was getting on the steely to try and follow Loden and Bell, and he was thinking, oh, this must be a species where its brain is elsewhere, which, you know, totally fair. And before kind of that, this becomes resolved with a brilliant performance from Ember, I thought it was absolutely hilarious how in this chapter we've seen the badassery of Porter Engel on display and what is his last thought kind of his last thoughts are coming to him as he is preparing himself to die and he thinks of this pie recipe that he would no longer get to try (laughs) (laughs) the sadness about a refinement to one of his pie recipes he would now never get to try I know that you appreciate a good meal, so I think that must have, you know, cooking up a good meal. So this must oh, have struck and, and a, a nice chord with you. <laughs> in particular, they're a, you know, they're a national delicacy for me. So, no, I absolutely appreciated the thoughts about pie. <laughs> it, it was interesting, though. Obviously, he, he's caught off guard, and he mentioned, you know, his hands were busy. Uh, I think saddling the, the steely. But he'd also previously just mentioned that he didn't even need his hands to freeze a blaster bolt or, or, or whatever so he must be absolutely just caught so off guard he doesn't even have time to sort of turn and concentrate on that but he has time to think about pie <laughs> and uh and i can get behind that <laughs> we see the priorities of porter yeah. angle on display here where he could like you said you self-preservation know, seen... <laughs> or sadness yeah. about pie i think he makes the right decision there i, I think that he knew Ember would show up and barbecue the Nihil because that is exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. Just torches the Nihil. (laughs) I absolutely love that. The, uh, was he a black, gray, and red, orange blur? No, I absolutely loved that. So that kind of resolves the first part of the chapter there with Porter and Ember showing up. We now cut to Loden and Bell, who are chasing down the other Nihil. There was this moment from when they left the farmstead or the homestead where Loden salvaged this metal tube from their V-wheel that got wrecked. We find out here that it's the vehicle's uh, kyber-keyed anti-ship weapon, which is uh, quite convenient, but it is also really awesome. And I didn't think of this until I was typing up my notes here uh, after I'd read the chapter here, because when he fires it and destroys one of their ships, quote, Bell heard it with his bones, not his ears. In the moment of the weapon firing, all other sounds ceased. And that reminded me of a seismic charge, kind of that silence just before that bang. I don't know if you thought the same thing, but it was great. Absolutely one of those things I'd love to see realized on screen. The sound design in my head is amazing for this. And, And even the description of, I guess, the visuals of it as well. Uh, just sounds fantastic. Yeah. One of the other things I like about this, and this is just continuing on from 
from stuff we've already seen between Loden and Bell, it's just how constantly awed Bell is by what his master can do. He's obviously spent a lot of time with this guy, been involved in a lot of engagements, and still he's just like, uh, I didn't know he could do that, <laughs> you know, which is fantastic. He's he's such a he's one of those real kick-ass characters that you you know you can get behind very very easily. Absolutely, and again, I I think he's like he's too cool to make it to see it through. I I do think that he's going to perish at some point, but I'm glad that we get all of these badass moments from. Loden Great Storm. He's really living up to the name in every chapter that he is involved in. If he wasn't great and he did, wasn't invoking of sort of storm levels of power, then, you know, that would have been a big mess as far as the names go. Yeah. Star Wars names can be pretty on the nose at times. Uh, and I think we even hear some later on in these uh, chapters that are, that are pretty on the nose. But um, yeah, uh, he's just constantly doing things that you're like, oh, okay. He means business. Between him and the Nihil, I think I know which storm is the greatest, and that's Loden. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. <laughs> Markion can take a seat, and so can the rest of the Nihil as well, because Loden is out here doing what he does. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the Nihil do continue their cowardly ways, and they throw Erica off the cart after shooting her in the side. She is still alive. Um, so as they're tending to her this is when their ship comes in for an attack run to kill the jedi while they're focused on trying to help and protect erica Loden pulls another absolutely badass move i think i i thought of thrawn staring down the tie defender in rebels where Loden stands his ground at this incoming ship and he lets out this battle cry, and he deflects the blaster bolts of the Nihil's uh, fighter or whatever whatever they're flying. I do have to say, uh, before kind of any comment on that, the first thing we read after that is that he fell to his knees and Bell cried out, Master. And I literally wrote, just like, not like no. this, Loden, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, it's just Loden showing how powerful and how how certain he is too, you know, like it, he even says, uh, I, don't, I don't think I could do that again, but he certainly was going to stand up and give it his best, uh, on the first, uh, on the first run. And yeah, again, it, the Nile are just, they're so despicable. I mean, they are very nihilistic, I guess. Another very on the nose uh... name. <laughs> Nothing matters to them. They'll throw this person out the door. They'll, yeah, they'll do anything. And you just see that commitment from the from these Jedi, and particularly Loden, that he will do whatever he can to stand in their way. Yeah, and I thought it was also kind of like Master, like Apprentice here, where you know after Bell hears from Loden, like I probably could not do that again. The Night Hill do come in for another attack run, and Bell does the same thing as Loden here. He he bends his front knee, turns to the side, holds his saber with both hands. He, quote, made himself a wall through which no evil could pass. And that in of itself was just a fantastic quote right there. But I loved how when he reaches out to the force, when he hears these shots, I don't know if he, I forget if he closes his eyes when this happens or if he's just kind of preparing for the worst because he hears shots from, from a ship. Mm. And he braces himself, quote, looking inward, not up. And I thought this was a huge moment 
for Bell Zetafar uh, in this book where we've seen a lot of conflict in him throughout the story, you know, trying to live up to the precedent, the badass precedent that Loden is setting for him. And, and he's always doubting himself very much like Obi-Wan, doubting himself if he can live up to Qui-Gon's expectations. But here he does it anyway. You know, he knows that this is a ship. The odds are against me, but he does it anyway, succeed or fail. And he looks inward instead of kind of focusing on what's coming towards him. Uh, I guess kind of uh, like the moment when he was falling off the cliff, where in that moment he was focused on what was ahead of him, the ground, and not the force within him. This was, I think, one of my favorite moments from the book here, especially for what it means for Bell's character. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, and, I mean, it was only, you know, a few lines or, or a paragraph or so earlier where it's, you know, what are we going to do, Master? And Loden says, whatever we can. And you can just see that played out in the way, okay, L- Loden's, he's not down, but he's, he's out. Uh, and Bell just steps up straight away, doesn't think about it, sets himself, has a little bit of a moment thinking to himself, damn, if, if Loden... Could uh, you know if loaded could barely handle this? How am I? But he still does it anyway, and he he lives in the moment, very much that that sort of Jedi philosophy. No worrying about what's going to happen in the next few seconds. He just calms himself, focuses, and sits about doing whatever he can. Time and time again, the the Jedi in this chapter are doing whatever they need to. Regardless if they are about to accept, all right, I might die in the next coming seconds, they do whatever they can because they they know what they have to. Um, Thankfully, the plot twist is that these shots that Bell heard came from Indira, who is (laughs) absolutely brilliantly, she's piloting one vector you know, kind of manually, and then piloting another with the Force, kind of flying in tandem uh, next to each other, kind of in unison, where (laughs) I was just, when I read that, I just wrote just WOW in all caps. Like, there (laughs) have been so, so many mind-boggling, brilliant moments from each of these Jedi, and this was just the icing on the cake in this chapter. I mean, this is so badass, but imagine being Bell today. Like, you've just seen what Loden's just done, and now Indira's doing this. And, you know, I think he even said it before at one point, after, it might have been after uh, Loden fired the weapon earlier, and he's just like, whoa. <laughs> Which is so relatable, because it's exactly what I'm thinking while I'm reading. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> this particular group of Jedi uh, just constantly doing things that make me go, Whoa. <laughs> and I bet that Porter's nine egg stew would also evoke a whoa. Uh, you know, and like <laughs> either that or maybe just a leaning back in the chair, loosening the belt, and a, a contented sigh. Right? <laughs> Both would be absolutely satisfactory. Um, and I, I can only imagine that when they kind of debrief over some food afterwards, if fingers crossed they all make it yeah if there is that moment where porter will also let them and there was this you know i just jumped straight up i threw my saber and it went <laughs> let, let me tell you it went through the rock <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't think it would but i was certain <laughs> <laughs> but i was so sure guys I was so very certain 
it was a fantastic chapter. It does end with kind of Porter saying, you know, I'm the best medic. I'll stay here, take care of Erica because she's not looking too good. She's alive, but we're definitely worried for Erica if she's going to make it. And I would be so mad if she dies because she has been an you know, just a total badass. Yeah, doing whatever she needs to for her family. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and I like that moment there as well with Bell. Uh, how Loden sort of says, "Okay, Bell, you're gonna, you know, the best thing for you to do is is get her back to back to the base." And he's disappointed, but he's like, "Okay, all good." But then Porter steps up and says, "No, no, that's not going to work." So um, and Loden says, "Bell, you're with me." Or whatever yep. it is, time to go fly or something. And uh, yeah. there's a great little end to the chapter. This isn't the first time that a chapter has ended with something along the lines of Loden saying, like, let's go, or like, let's fly, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like they're, they're about to just go on this chase or do something awesome. It's definitely not the first time, you know, where uh, at the beginning of the book, you know, it's going to see you on the ground or like, let's go after when they're chasing the Nihil or, you know, time to fly now. It's- He'd be a catchphrase guy for sure. He would. Yeah. <laughs> I think he and Lando would probably get along with kind of like the one-liners there, just kind of the, those, oh, yeah. those <laughs> phrases. <laughs> yeah, the chapter does end with them getting ready to or starting to fly after the Nihil, and that is how chapter 30 ends. It has been, I mean, that that was a ride. Wild. That was a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. wild. Whoa. That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> just whoa, yeah. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> We do start to get some resolution, or not even resolution. We do come back to kind of uh, the continuation of that scene. But with chapter 31, we are taken somewhere else, you know, kind of typical of Charles kind of jumping around in these tense moments where, oh, I bet you'd like to know what happens, but you're going to have to keep reading. (laughs) Tune in next week. Yeah, next week. (laughs) After after Loden drops his one lighter, tune in next week to find out what happens. (laughs) So before we jump into chapter 31, I'll give my summary and then we'll see what's going on with the Nihil and the Republic and these emergences. Back aboard their long beam, Pika and Joss Adrin prepare to salvage the 39th emergence with the Republic rescue team. With every emergence, the likelihood that they will find the bridge section of the Legacy Run and salvage its flight recorder system grows higher. Meanwhile, Lorna D and her Tempest lay in wait for the emergence as well, under powerful cloaking devices making her ship virtually undetectable. The Nihil are also in search of the flight recorder system to prevent any evidence being discovered linking them to the Legacy Run. After the 39th emergence occurs and the Republic saves the survivors, both parties end up at the site of the 40th emergence, confirmed to be the bridge portion of the ship. Lorna D tries everything to prevent it from being salvaged, but the Republic and their accompanying Jedi are able to win the day, albeit at a terrible cost. Again, I think this is kind of, we had mentioned earlier, where there might be kind of a moment where you think everything's going to work out, and literally the next page, the next line, you know, dot, 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 there's always something. A Um, gut punch. An absolute gut punch um yeah what what did you think about chapter 31 before we talk about it there's a big theme about sort of commitment and the depth of commitment in this uh, in this chapter obviously the, the deepest commitment of the jedi that we're we're so familiar with but also uh the regular people that have been swept up 
uh, in this rescue, recovery, etc. mission. And also with the Nile and, and with Lorna D, that I guess the lengths to which they're willing to go, uh, we see them tested in this in this chapter as well. So um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of the big the big picture. And I kind of just yeah, I, I really like that focus on uh, is it Picker and uh, and Joss. Uh, they've been involved in part of the construction of um, of Starlight Beacon, sort of mentioned there, and then they've been swept up in this uh, in this great disaster, and, and now they're still part of uh, of dealing with the emergencies, and they're they're absolutely exhausted. And I think uh, it's Picker that mentions they were supposed to be on holiday together or whatever, and that, and that kind of just reminds me of of Clerks with with Dante saying, "I'm not even supposed to be here today," and yet they they are committed to helping the galaxy wide and helping these these people in trouble. So it's really cool. Yeah, I mean they've been in it from the start, you know, the start of the book, and even before we saw them for the first time, because like you said, they had also been working on the Starlight Beacon. Uh, as far as the construction goes, I do like how, you know, in kind of the theme of commitment that we see in this chapter, how you also tied in the Nihil as well, you know, because it looks very different, you know, their kind of commitment to what they're doing and, and what they're willing to do for it. But yeah, it's a, it's a very universal theme and just the, in the manner that it manifests depends on who you're talking about, you know, because like we have seen from Kasav, you know, whether he's kind of committed to filling his pockets at whatever cost. And, you know, here with Lorna D, they don't, they don't care who or how many people they have to kill. You know, they would gladly pull the trigger at any moment to get what they want, even if, you know, I think there's a moment in the chapter where Lorna D thinks, like, she doesn't have to kill them. She would like to. She, she would certainly very much could. like to, <laughs> which yeah, right? reminds me oh, of certainly. someone... <laughs> Anakin, <laughs> I would certainly like to. Uh, you're right. How how the theme you know, connects through the Jedi, the Republic, and and the Nihil as well, just in in a different kind of way. With the Jedi, you know, you see that they're they're trained from an early age. They're indoctrinated that they have a greater purpose, and their purpose is to help those who need it, those who can't help themselves. Very much the, the sort of knightly values chivalric values but then you also get you know regular members of the republic who are are committed to helping people through you know just general selflessness they don't have to be there they they were supposed to be somewhere else but they want to help whereas the nile have a completely different set of motivations and we see that play out particularly over this chapter and the next one they seem committed to each other and to what they're doing to a degree however that only goes so far and Mm. ultimately self-interest is what they're most committed to. Um, Yeah. yeah, We absolutely see that, that play out in uh, in these next couple. Yeah. It's uh, there is a a thought that uh, I had kind of uh, in, in the next chapter, but it also just applies to what you've said and, and now kind of with Lorna D and some of her thoughts in some of her ruminations in this chapter is I just, get the impression that the Nihil just don't like each other, you know, (laughs) like there's up to a certain point. It's like, okay, you know, you're, you're part of my team. Like I'm, you know, you're my strike and I'm a cloud or whatever, whatever the ranking is. But at the end of the day, they're just in it for themselves. Kind of very, uh, again, it just kind of reminds me of the Sith mentalities where it's like, oh, you know, we might be master and apprentice, but it's always like a self 
selfish, uh, self-interested manner in which they go about things. And it it does translate to the Nihil uh, as well. I do have to credit Charles's writing here because, you know, after... We've, uh, after Joss and Pika are kind of going through the motions, getting ready to deal with this 39th emergence, and Jedi Tayami and uh, Mikhail Sudmani are there as well, kind of the, the crew back together again. They're getting ready, and as Charles writes, quote, Here it comes, Joss said, 39th emergence in five, four, three, dot, 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 <laughs> as we transfer to another POV, two... One, Belial said, from his post at the monitoring station as we find ourselves with Lorna D, one of the Tempest Runners, and they are stealthed out. They are there, too. You know, I, I wish that the listeners could see how that is on the page and, and kind of, uh, you know, me reading it for the first time. I was like, you son of a Gungan, Charles. Like That was just, <laughs> that was, that was such a good gripping way to write that where, you think something's about to be great, and then, oh, wait, the bad guys are here too. It was so... I love how that was written by him. Again, would play out so well on screen, as so many uh, so many things in this book have been. Just that three, two, well, and then the jump cut to the bad guys and, and their perspective. I find a lot of the way this book is written would just play out so well as a screenplay. I do hope that in some way or another... I, do, I love how this initiative is a literary uh initiative with books and comics and all that i do hope that there is some kind of show or movies as well down down the line to really put all of this on screen maybe you know if it's an adaptation of the books uh that that would be great but just the higher public on screen I i would love to uh to see that because i mean if the writing is so cinematic you know as it is yeah. just imagine what that would look like it's so don't so tease great. us with it Give us the cinematic. (laughs) (laughs) Give the people what they want. Yeah, I mean, it's a bigger discussion as to whether Star Wars would ever be willing to do a, you know, direct adaptation of of their literature. Because they've got a lot to draw on if they want to. Mm. But as at this stage, they don't seem inclined to to do that. They want everything to be uh, a fresh story to a degree. We find out that uh, Lorna D's ship, uh, you know, kind of stealthed out, sleek ship contrasts to one of the other Tempest runners, uh, Pan Etya. I think uh, their ship is the Elegancia, which is uh, like this beautiful ship with expensive leathers and very kind of luxurious. And then Kasavs, the new elite, which, quote, felt like the interior of a trashy nightclub. <laughs> which... <laughs> which just... I mean, it works from what we've seen of him so far. (laughs) It's very, uh, I think that is the perfect way to describe it after one of the previous chapters where we saw exactly what that looks like uh, on his ship. (laughs) I did think it was quite funny how, you know, she's thinking how they do have to keep a low profile because of what Kasav did at Iriadu. He returned to the Nihil. I thought it was quite funny that he offered, that Lornady thinks he offered up the 30 million he said he made on the run, where we know he's keeping 20 million for himself. Like, even when he comes crawling back, he's still a slime ball. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Not only is he a slime ball, but he's an idiot. You know, he's set up for a fall. I get the feeling. For sure. I I think they're, again, I I feel quite certain that there's only one way things are going to end for him. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you don't sense a lot of love from even even within the uh, the Tempest Runners for Kasav. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's like... I, and, and not to mention the uh, very sinister uh, Eriadu commander. I can't remember mm. what the name... Can't recall what the name was, but uh, um, Governor Veen, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely giving off those Tarkin vibes. Yep, definitely. It's like that persona runs deep in the in the blood of Iriadu, as it seems. I you did bring up how the Tempest Runners uh, they care about him as much as we do, which is uh, not much. Not much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, where um, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, when he had come back, Lorna and. Panetia had voted to kind of space him, yeah. to throw him out to the vacuum, as he probably deserves. But Markeon Rowe voted to keep him around, and as we know, he his vote is worth uh, worth two, I think, and he wins any tie breaks. You know, the, the vote went in his favor. Yeah, they're not happy about it. But the way that, because I guess I was kind of surprised there, where I do think that it's going to come to blows between them, but. I think maybe it's much more apt of Markion here. It's it's much a much more of a Markion row move to vote to keep him around because now, at least the way that I read it, Kasav owes him. You know that he, yeah. he now has leverage on this guy who he knows doesn't like him. They don't get along very well, and now Markion has given himself kind of the one up on Kasav, which is quite quite cunning, quite brilliant. Well, he seems to be trying to maneuver himself into a position of even more strength, and having someone in his back pocket like that is just another yeah it's another card for him to play how how is he going to use kasav before this all plays out is what i'm asking myself but absolutely lorna you get the impression is she's a pretty ruthless she doesn't have time you know she doesn't suffer fools and she thinks she's got one on her hands she did. Should I sort of say, well, you know, I guess for for the time being, perhaps we can let that slide. But you don't get the feeling she'll let it slide forever, regardless of how things play out. It's it's going to be a mess, whichever way it goes. It's it's not going to end well for the Tempest Runners, whether that's among themselves or you know if something happens to them. I do think because we find out here too that Lorna as well as you know cuz as we find out with Kasav in one of the previous chapters she also would rather Markion Roe be out of the picture entirely yeah that she would do that if she could which i don't know with all of this kind of being built up where Kasav wants him out now Lorna D wants him out I think that Markion's going to stick around for for a while. So my impression here with all these people thinking, oh, I'm going to be the one to take him out of the picture. I don't think it's going to end well for any of them or anyone who is not Markion Rowe, just with yeah. all of that being built up. The way it's panning out, certainly it seems like he is going to be the central figure. But then I, I guess we've we've seen these things turned on their heads in Star Wars oh, before, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, perhaps I should in this book. Uh, yeah, well, th- that's true too. I guess I start to sort of line up in my mind which are the which are the Tempest runners that could potentially topple him or cause trouble for him, or or indeed worm their way into you know his uh, his picking order in order to to stick a knife in his uh, in his kidney. So uh, who knows? Yeah. They seem capable of anything. <laughs> yeah, they seem yeah. absolutely capable of anything at this point. Yeah, I guess with the way that this chapter ends, I 
don't think I would wager for Lorna D, but we'll get to that. Um, I did think it was interesting to note that we have heard that there is this Nihil spy within the Republic, and they've gotten information that the Republic now is pretty certain that the Legacy run, what they had avoided was a Nihil ship on, you know, the, as the Nihil know, it's on one of their paths, but the Republic knows that they've kind of put the pieces together that it was probably a Nihil ship. As far as how that happened, they're yet to discover, but we find out the, that the Republic spy is Senator Noor's aide, the uh, the Chagrian aide, because of course, you know, we know of how Massameda is. Yeah. It's just, it had to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Another one of those species that we just can't trust at this point. Exactly. That's what, you know, few things are for certain, and that is one of the certainties uh, of Star Wars now, apparently. So... After the 39th emergence had happened, uh, pretty uneventful. The Republic do save the survivors there. We kind of fast forward to the 40th, where it is confirmed that this is the bridge section where this all-important flight recorder system is. You know, they've been hunting for it for a while. It is very important to finding out what exactly happened to the Legacy run. And, you know, Tayami and, and Mikkel had been kind of dealing with things well enough until then, and Lorna D decides to uh, take matters into her own hands when uh, she decides that they have to destroy the flight recorder system. So they fire, they're still stealthed out, but they fire these missiles that come out of nowhere, and uh, the Republic try to deal with them. The long beam is destroyed, but they're able to. Things get kind of tenser when Tayami is headed for the last missile, and Mikhail notices that uh, another missile kind of appears uh, that is now trailing her, and he noticed kind of a, a flickering, vague image of a ship from where that might have come from. I guess the, the ultimate moment is when Tayami is simultaneously trying to avoid the missile chasing her and destroy the one that is headed for the fragment of the ship. She does destroy the one uh, going for the bridge, but the other one catches up to her, just as she said, got it, because she had succeeded. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, Mikkel is doing his best to try and alter the course of the missile that's, that's on track with her. And that all comes on the back of what was a really kind of fun exchange between the two of them, where he's been quite genuine and saying, it's been great working with you and whatnot, and, you know, I'd like to work with you in the future. And then she kind of just takes the piss out of him, like, <laughs> oh, uh, well, it starts taking the piss out of uh, about attachments and, you know, uh, maybe I need to speak to the council about you or something along those lines. And he's like, oh, well, uh, you do it, you must. <laughs> just like, dude, uh, just, I'm messing with you. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Psych. <laughs> they have this playful exchange to a degree just to set up, you know, the potential of of them working together in the future and, and this admiration that he has for Tiami and then whomp, she's gone. Uh, you know, yeah, in this heroic taken. act of showing mm. that, that deepest commitment, she knew what could happen. Uh, she was doing her best to avoid being hit, but she knew what needed to happen was to stop that missile that was going to take out the flight recorder yeah. in terms of, uh, of being able to combat the Nile and, and bring attention to, to what they've done. So, yeah. It was a moment. That was the gut punch that left you winded. It did, you know, because she has been one of the Jedi that have been around 
from pretty much the start of the book, you know, when the Jedi did show up and start to intervene and kind of resolve the great disaster you know she was part of yeah. the crew that saved the first survivors and and correct me if i'm wrong she was en route to take up a position as sort of heading up the jedi contingent at starlight beacon and then obviously gets dragged into uh, dealing with the, the fallout from the legacy run yeah so we've been with her a while and like i say that they, they play with you with this pretty funny exchange and, and Kind of a nice sort of warm exchange between the two of them. And then, like that, she's gone. That's the High Republic I gotta be for honest you. as well. <laughs> That's the High Republic. Yeah, that sums it up. You know, one moment you think it's going to be okay, and then the next moment something is something or someone is taken from you. She uh, got High Republic. Can, can we use that as a verb? Got... Is, that, <laughs> is, is that something we can do? <laughs> that is now officially in the lexicon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she got High Republic. <laughs> yeah. And it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts so much. I gotta be honest, when I was reading it for the first time, uh, their exchange, kind of the banter between them, which I'm glad that you pointed that out because I totally missed that in my notes. Uh, it was like the playful exchange. I didn't for one second think that it might be setting up something horrible to happen where... yeah. Uh, it just... You should have known it, by you, now, let's be honest. I should, should have, have known. Right? I let my However, guard down. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple of little down. elements of foreshadowing in this um, in this chapter for the first emer- uh, emergence that we see being passengers. And then, you know, mm. and so like one of the... Um, uh, one of the long beams stays behind to help with those passengers. You're like, oh, they're taking a weekend contingent into this next engagement uh you know lonity's there and then you start you've already had explained to you how lonity's ship and her attack plan how how those uh, how that's meant to play out Uh, and then you get to see it all happen from the jedi's perspective and you're left starting to wonder what could happen and then when when you see (laughs) this jedi heading towards certain death potentially but the one who's just res- expressed their admiration for them doing what they can, again, like in the in the previous chapter, I don't know what I can do, but I will do what I can. And you think maybe it could play out right, maybe, maybe, just maybe, just maybe he can do enough, <laughs> but uh, but he cannot. It did hurt, you know, and I guess now I've resolved that any time two Jedi talk about or or kind of uh, posit. Uh, a future together, whether that's Avar or Elzar, kind of uh, with a quiet retirement, or Mikkel and and uh, Tayami being, you know, partners and trying to uh, track down Kasav. Anytime you think that two Jedi are going to work out all right together, it's not going to happen. So that makes me even more afraid for Avar and Elzar. Honestly, a hundred percent on the same uh, the same track as you. I feel like not everything can go wrong. Right, but I'm wrong. <laughs> not it. Not Famous surely last not words. everything can go wrong. But no, actually, pretty much everything can go wrong. There's always a way. There's always a way. Uh, yeah. I, I do have to give props to Mikhail. You know, he's kind of rightfully so shaken by what he just witnessed. His friend just being disintegrated in you know, the blink of an eye. 
but Joss kind of asks, hey, you know, I saw that ship too, like, let's go for it. So he and Joss with the long beam are flying for Lorna's ship. Lauren pretty much goes like, fire everything, and they send like maybe six or a dozen more missiles at them. And I think it was six missiles where Mikhail takes out four of these four of them like this yeah badass like you can i can just feel maybe not again maybe not anger but certainty that he would kind of uh i don't know if if avenge his friend is not the jedi way but like i could feel kind of the the determination in him just seeing that he needs to remove this threat that not only has just taken out his friend but they're obviously after the flight recorder as well and he knows what his purpose is and immediately snaps into action again, m- much like our boy Porter, uh, knows what has to be done and he's able to put that sort of moment aside. He doesn't react in anger, but reacts with purpose. And that's, with certainty, that's you could say. With certainty, <laughs> yeah. That's another theme, most definitely, that we're touching with on certainty. a lot. Yeah, I love the moment where... Uh, you know, Mikkel is taking out these four missiles and Joss takes out a couple as well. He and Pika are able to deal with the other two. And I kind of thought of the Lord of the Rings, kind of the Pelennor Fields charge where like the orcs are taking out a bunch of the Rohirrim, but they keep charging, they keep coming. And, you know, Belial at the monitoring station is like, who are these guys? You know, they're just like <laughs> yeah. taking out all of these missiles. And like, they're really starting to panic now. And Lorna kind of throughout this chapter realizes you know why Markion is wary of the jedi and we get to see this here where kind of the the regulars underneath her are like uh uh, we don't stand a chance right now she does decide to take off and and escape because her ship isn't designed for these head-on charges now last thought here when when she does decide to scram you know we she says we lost Markion is not going to be happy. Uh, I know that he's not the head of the Nihil by any means, but, you know, as we've gathered, he has a lot of leverage with their votes and kind of pitting them against each other. We have a failure from Kasav, and now we have a failure from Lorna D. It's setting up some kind of trouble with them where they are not necessarily, I guess here they did lose, but I don't know, it's, it's setting up some uh, some cards against the Nihil now, which is, it's not going to be good for them in some way, I think. Or at least maybe not good for the Tempest Runners in some way. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, they clearly don't tolerate failure. Uh, we've seen that a few times now. And Lorna herself doesn't tolerate failure. However, you've seen that depth of commitment that we talked about before tested with Lorna. She, moments ago was somewhat flippantly going, I don't, I'm not supposed to kill them, but I'd, you know, I wouldn't mind. Like, as if this was was not a problem. Now all of a sudden she's faced with the threat, she's been exposed, her, uh, her advantage has been taken away, and she knows it's imperative that she gets hold of, of the flight recorder because the stupidity of Kasav has exposed them already to a degree, but they don't want, to have an even bigger target on their back, uh, being exposed as as the cause of the the whole legacy run disaster, so it's a big mm-hmm. deal. But she's willing to cut and run in the name of self preservation, and she's willing to deal with the repercussions of failure, because ultimately she's hedging her bets here. 
am I, am I safer right now with these uh, long beams and vector on my case? Or am I safer going back to the Nile and saying, well, we couldn't quite get the job done? So it'll be interesting to see where that goes, uh, obviously. But um, it, it does shine a light, I guess, on the difference in the level of commitment and how that's played out based on, on, your, uh, on your motives. You see Tiami, she played that out right to the end because she had the deepest commitment to do what needed to be done. Uh, Lorna Dean, not so much. I hadn't thought of the contrast there between the two until you just pointed it out where we saw what it looks like when you decide that your cause or your mission is above your life. Uh, where I mean, I know I know that Tayami didn't go in there looking to to die. She you know, she she, she didn't. Uh, yeah, she absolutely uh, she, wanted to avoid but, the the worst of that yeah. situation, but not at the expense of what needed to be done. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, like like you said, the commitment exists in both parties, but the level of that, what it looks like, where it ends at a certain point, is very different. And I love that contrast. I had not picked up on that where, uh, yeah, Lorna D chose, I guess, the lesser of the evils in her mind. Like you said, hedging her bets with uh, returning to the Nihil, though she knows how that went when Kasav returned, where he very nearly got spaced. It can't be an easy decision to make. There's no tolerance for, for failure, certainly at the lower levels, but even at the at the higher levels. We've seen how close it's come for one of them already, so... No one's yeah. safe. Could, <laughs> you know, could we be down to one Tempest Runner and, and one eye at the end of this book? Who knows? You're right. <laughs> and so I wonder how Markion is going gonna, is gonna to spin this. If he's going to try to gain leverage on Lorna D by keeping her around, or if he's going to set an example. Again, or, I'm, I'm or speaking like as if he's the head Try to pin it on her or pin it on, exactly. uh, on Kasav or pin it on... Go pin it on Panietia, then he's got rid of all of them. Who knows, you know? <laughs> Panietia's like, I wasn't even there. <laughs> I mean, we already know that by the nature of his role in the Nihil, the dynamic of the Eye, the Tempest Runners are already pit against each other. And now if he's going to try to uh, kind of play that card even stronger uh, with Lorna D's role in this failure here, it's going to be very interesting to see. But he's, he's got to play it like that, though, doesn't he? Because he he doesn't have these Tempests behind him. Each, each of the Tempest Runners have fiercely loyal level upon level of grunts, you know, of people to back them up, whereas he, he doesn't have that. All, all he has is his little uh, leverage games, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That is how Chapter 31 ends. We do have Chapter 32 next. It is much shorter, but I'll give my summary, and then we can talk about uh, what's continuing to happen back on Elfrona, or rather, above Elfrona. Above Elfrona, Nihil member Ultident Margrona, also known as Dent, attempts to flee the planet with her team and the Blythe family. What was supposed to be a simple capture mission, which was her idea as well, ended up going horribly wrong, and now the remaining Nihil had three Jedi in their Vector ships pursuing them as well. Dent realizes they won't be able to make it to the location of their path, and she boldly decides to open a transmission back to their base in order to request a new path to be transmitted to them for a quicker escape. 
However, Dent knows the process of attaining a new path would take too long, and decides to take matters into her own hands. Albeit at the protest of one of her colleagues, she orders her team to distract the pursuing Jedi by throwing the Blythe's daughter out of the airlock. I'm gonna be honest, it was an absolutely gut-wrenching, horrifying end to the chapter. It, it doesn't happen, but the, you know, the order is the given. The implication is, yeah, that mm. it's going to. Uh, yeah, yeah the, there's, there's not a lot that happens in this chapter. Did you have any kind of general thoughts? I mean, that was the moment that uh, it was, yeah, that was rough. First thoughts are, uh, thank the maker that they shortened the name to Dent. Because uh, <laughs> alternate, uh, yeah, space words. Margarita, I yeah, mar- <laughs> space words. I, I guess again, we sort of touch on loyalty. I guess as a theme in this chapter, and really sort of touching on how the Nile are, are recruiting these people who are, I guess, ultimately vulnerable people or people who feel like they have nothing, and giving them a sense of belonging. But they're being indoctrinated into this group that is willing to do the most despicable things in order to, you know, I guess in their self-interest, but also to impress the people at the next level up, impress their storm or impress their cloud or, or, or whatever it may be. It was, yeah, it was really, it was interesting to look into this. Just gives us a broader picture of the Nile and, and their sort of structure. But um, yeah, I guess the big gut punch is, really? Yeah. You're willing to, you know, I I suppose it shouldn't be a surprise. It's very much along the lines of what happened to, um, uh, to the mother in the, in chapter 30. But, um, yeah, they're just, they're so ruthless. You just want them to get their beans, you know, (laughs) you really do. (laughs) I want to see it. I want to, I want to see it. I want to see Loden (laughs) wrap his hand around these. Yeah. Anyway, you get the idea. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> I want them to get their beans. So that that oh might be a colloquialism God. that doesn't translate so well uh, around the world. But uh, oh, I love it. I yeah, love it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sticking by it. I'm oh, all in. please do. Now, I I'm all in too. <laughs> yeah. I hope they get their beans. Yeah. <laughs> some there was some interesting things, albeit short in here, but very much playing into that loyalty or lack of loyalty you see when um when dent contacts is it zuvla yeah zuvla uh, the um <laughs> the i think is the storm that's above her as soon as she sort of says uh yeah no we've run into some trouble we've got jedi he immediately uses her full name which we shall not mm. mention uh which <laughs> she obviously hates and she's mentioned i think she said she'd mentioned it to him in a, a drunken stupor or some a moment of uh, booze-filled closeness, she says. <laughs> uh, and he immediately uses that name as a weapon, like as a punishment because of something that's beyond of her, beyond her control. So there's, there really is no loyalty. That they're, they're selling these people on uh, on the idea of belonging and, and something they don't have and loyalty to each other. But it's it's all not, it's all rubbish. They really don't have any loyalty. As soon as someone needs to be cut free she talks about the the other two that were left behind to ambush uh, ambush porter if they were alive they would have called but you know they're stupid anyway stupid strikes yeah that was the the part where 
I had to think, uh, I wrote in the margin, I had to think to myself, if there's like, it seems like everyone just doesn't like each other, you know, they're, again, they're yeah. a lot for, for themselves, you know, where it's like those were part of her team, you know, those were kind of... Uh, People know, she'd recruited herself, she mentioned as well, yeah. you know, she found strikes yeah. of her own to command and it was all coming together. She'd sort of taken the, the step up and started to form her own team and and her goal was to, you know, impress these people above them. So maybe her idea got kicked up the chain a bit further and so on and so forth. But she has no love or respect for anyone either up the chain or down, which which seems to be a recurring, uh, a recurring theme. Yeah, whether it's the Tempest Runners or just uh, really anyone in the Nihil, everyone's kind of walking on, on ice uh, around each other. And, and like you said, you know, even when she thinks about those who she had personally recruited, you know, ends up thinking about them as like so stupid for not realizing she was sending them to their deaths, you know, it's just to buy them some time, you know, and and how she thinks kind of down at those even around her now who had survived that encounter planet side, you know, it's, uh, the people she's now relying on to, to get her out of this situation. Yeah. She's still sitting there thinking, you know, that they were worthless to me. Well, not really, actually. <laughs> you need each other right now, whether whether they realize it or or not. Uh, we we shall see. But I did think it was interesting when she does make the call for the other path to try to to get another quicker way out of there. I th- I thought it was very cold when because it was a risk for her making the call anyway because the transmission could be tracked back to base which i thought was obviously very risky but between kasav bringing attention to the nia hill now lorna d messing up and now dent as well they like i don't care if they track this transmission i gotta get out of here there's a lot of little mistakes and careless choices being made along the way which could add it's it feels to me reading about all these pieces happening all this kind of carelessness or selfishness or just kind of failing to get the job done with Lorna D, there's a lot of things stacking up now where, uh, I don't know, it, it seems very telling. It, it, something's going to have to give. Yeah, and I think it's Lorna D who had recruited her, so she's part of Lorna's temper. So this is two things, uh, yeah. two strikes on Lorna in the last two chapters. So yeah. I think it mentions when she contacted Zuvla to then kick the request up the chain to, to Lorna to get a path from the eye. Are they even going to pass it through that chain of command? Because none of them really want any of this on their hands. So is this all going to be resolved quickly, or uh, are they somehow going to pull this out and, and get away? And then and then I guess we'll, we'll probably see what happens to, uh, to the people involved in these litany of failures. <laughs> yeah. I I hadn't uh, tied this failure as well to Lorna, but you're right that that uh, it's two Dent strikes. Had, yeah, two strikes, which are also the night. Pardon the night. I can't say that now anymore. <laughs> yeah, <damn it. laughs> there are two strikes there, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it was very cold from Zuvler when he says, "Quote: Don't call again. Either you'll hear from me with a new path, or." You won't. Oh, you won't. So, yeah. uh, and kind of the the heaviness of that last, or you won't, It's uh, it seemed very much that Zuvler would be totally fine if they just didn't make it. You know, that's less of 
you know, kind of less footprints to have to clean up after, you know, less loose ends. That's how I, I certainly read it. It's You don't really know whether he's even going to, to kick that request up the chain or if he's just going to go, nah, that's not worth it. I, yeah. I don't want any more calamity on my hands. Yeah, that's the impression that, that I get as well, that it's, uh, you know, either Dent finds a way out of this somehow or... It's uh, not going to end well for her or uh, or those with her. Well, and the, um, and the way out of it is to throw some poor child <laughs> out of the ship. Yeah, uh, that that's uh, a that's her game plan. That's uh, the idea. <laughs> and so we've got what Loden and Bell in one vector, and Indira in another. Mm. So we've got what three Jedi, two ships. One falling child and one escaping ship. So mm. you feel like the odds are still on the Jedi here, even though they're going to have to deal with the issue of the child plummeting towards the planet. Yeah, but you're right. I think that the odds might still be in the Jedi's favor. Still, though, catching a child who is plummeting to the planet's surface, that's is, scary is that, to is even Is that a job say. for one of the vectors or... You know, or, or what? Mm. I guess we'll find out. But um, I, it's another yeah. great cliffhanger episode with this crew. Oh, for sure. I, I think that Loden and Bell might be the ones to save uh, B. Blythe, I think, is the daughter's mm. name. I, th- I think they, I think you know, so. yeah. kind of t- two working together to get that done, which might be, now that I think of it, if Bell kind of jumps out of the ship to save her and he is now put in the position where he has to use kind of the the force fall oh and he does it that we've already oh, seen what what if that happens oh that i just thought I, that wasn't in my notes that was on the spot like what if that this is the moment he's already kind of summoned the courage in one of the previous chapters and, to and failed in doing so though the, uh oh, you know he, he, when he when yeah. he was first tested but you're right and then and then in the one we just discussed before, he's summoned the courage to just do what needs to be done. I like that. Yeah, that is now my prediction that he this might be his moment to shine. But <laughs> whether that is right or wrong, I will not know until until it gets resolved. But uh, tune in next fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. It is another cliffhanger, which this book is has no shortage of. But that does lead us to the end of chapter thirty-two. That leads us to the end of this episode. It has been. A great one, Doug. Thank you so much for chatting about these three chapters. How are you feeling as as we're wrapping up after uh, after talking about this all? Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Like I really have enjoyed revisiting this book, both as a listener this season and also digging into these um, these three chapters. Because a, like I said, I was so enamored with it the first time I, I read it back to back. But also, it's just really good to go back and. It's like going back and watching the first movie in a trilogy uh, after you've just watched the third one, which is kind of where I feel I'm at with the main novels. It's just good, yeah, good seeing uh, some of these characters set up. It's fair to say, and no complete surprise, that some of them aren't still with us by the end of the third book. But uh, I really like seeing the themes that they dig into, uh, which is still very much ongoing in the subsequent uh, books. And yeah, just taking a little, a little snapshot of uh, one of my favorite moments which is which is that chapter with Porter. It's one of the things I really think about when I when I'd looked back at this book uh, about the characters that I'd uh, I'd gotten to be interested in and and some of the really 
sort of cool action stuff that we, that we got in that chapter was was right up my alley, and I want to see it on screen yeah. one day, Lucasfilm. Yeah. If you're listening, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Make it happen, please. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to be on for that chapter specifically. Not that I knew it until I got there, but <laughs> and I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did, and uh, for you to to get the chance to to read about and then discuss uh, your boy Porter Angle, but. Yeah, Doug, thank you so much again for coming on, for talking about these chapters. Are th- is there anything else that you'd like to uh, to plug or say to the listeners before we wrap up uh, the episode? Oh, nothing to plug, but um, as far as anything to say to the listeners, um, I'm sure you're all enjoying this podcast as much as I am. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to, to this season in particular because it's such a great book and digging into these, these sort of new and interesting characters and while they might all be new, the the themes and ideas behind it all is is very much Star Wars. So I'm sure we're all loving it. The the themes connect through it all. You could almost call it poetry, but indeed, uh, it rhymes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least I wasn't the one to finish the quote. <laughs> uh, but Doug, thank you so much uh, again for chatting about some Land of the Jedi. This was an awesome awesome time. Before we close out today, I'll give our next Searcher Readings discussion question. At multiple points in the episode, we saw the Jedi do whatever it took to accomplish their mission, even if it meant being willing to lay their life down for others. Which of these moments stood out to you the most, and why? I'll post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comment and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, Search Your Readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media and stay connected to the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 53. So until then, sit back and enjoy. And I think we've got a brief word for us from Doug's daughter. Let's listen in. Hello, may the force be with you.